So when we hear that a storm is coming, the smart thing to do, the wise thing to do is to prepare. So several years ago, 2012 was Superstorm Sandy. We were living in South Central PA, so considerably inland, didn't have too much to worry about, although what we got warned about was you may experience power outages, so just be prepared for that. So Sherry went on a shopping trip to get some things that we might need if the power was gonna be out, and she came back with this. And (laughs) apparently... If the power is going to be out, as long as you have enough chocolate, everything is going to be okay. So I know you guys are so much closer to the coast that probably there was some more serious preparation that that went on. But even in the worst of storms, people can be warned and still not prepare. Last year, Hurricane Michael was the first Category 5 storm to hit landfall in the United States since Andrew in 1992. And there were many warnings that went out to people to to leave, to evacuate Florida, to, to get to safe place. But not everybody heeded that warning. And the Tampa Bay Times did a story earlier this year to talk about the, the horrifying picture. I think they wanted to paint the picture of what it's like if you decide not to evacuate. And so they told several stories of people who were impacted by Michael, including a man who, when the storm was just about hitting landfall, he noticed his neighbor in the driveway had, had fallen and collapsed and so he ran over to, to help him, and he called 911. And what he heard when he called 911 was what many people heard that day when they called 911. The dispatcher said this with as much compassion as she could muster. At this time, EMS, fire, and law enforcement cannot roll. We are bunkered down the same as you guys. And so this guy's standing there with this man collapsed, and he said, he's, he's turning purple. We, we need to do something. And so the dispatcher said, do you want me to walk you through CPR? And you do the best you can and, until help might be able to arrive. And so that's, that's what they did. Uh, she talked him through CPR. And, and this story talks about reasons why, why people might not leave. When, when a major hurricane swirls near, the message is, Leave but many stay. Some have elderly relatives in hospice. They might have five pets that don't fit in a car. They have memories of a storm that didn't do any damage, or they have too little money to get to a hotel room. I mean, there's a variety of reasons why people might not leave, but the results can be catastrophic because in the instance with this guy and his neighbor, that that man passed away before EMS could get out to, to get to him and and help. There's a spiritual storm coming, and many people will be unprepared the day when it comes, but it won't be for lack of warning. God has given us plenty of notice because he wants us to be able to escape. There there is a day of judgment that God has on his calendar that is a day when he is going to to call to account every person, everything in creation, and he's going to call them to account for what they've done, and he's going to, to call to attention, call to accountability, and he's going to eliminate then everything that has been against his plan from the beginning, everything that reflects sin in this world. And that sounds scary, and it sounds a little bit 
violent, but it has to happen because if we want to live with God, if we want to have a hope of living with God in an eternity that does not include sin, God has to eliminate it. He has to get rid of it. And so Jesus spoke often about the day of judgment that was coming. He, he spoke about it because he wanted us to be prepared. And he spoke about it because he wants us to escape from that day of, of judgment. And so this morning, we're going to look at a very clear call that Jesus gave to be prepared, and then a very clear action step of what he told us to do because he wants us to be able to escape the storm that's coming. So if you would take a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, Luke 12 is on page 966. We're in this series called Against the Grain, and last Sunday... Jay talked with us about the division that Jesus can sometimes bring. I mean, we like to think of Jesus as bringing peace and harmony, but sometimes he brings division. He is a divisive person when you understand what he, what he actually said. And so today, we're going to look at, at Jesus going against the grain of ignorance this time about what is to come, the judgment that is to come. And he starts today with a storm warning in verse 54. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time. Jesus says, you, you know how to recognize when a storm is coming. And to the people that Jesus was talking to here, it was really vital for them to understand the, the weather because they were primarily farmers. And even if they weren't farmers by vocation, they would have some kind of garden that they're growing their own food because they didn't have what we have. They, they didn't have a grocery store that they could go or a market they could go and buy something that somebody else grew. I mean, they needed to grow their own. And so understanding the weather, being able to respond to the weather, being able to plant at the right time, being able to harvest at the right time, all of that was literally a life and death issue. And Jesus says, you, you understand, you know how to recognize when a when rain is coming, when a storm is coming. In verse 54, he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower's coming. That word shower actually is better translated a rainstorm. It's not talking about a, a nice little shower, you know, you know, gentle and everything. It's talking about a storm is coming. So when you see a cloud rising, you say, a storm is coming. And you you make adjustments. It's kind of like the saying that my mom taught me when I was a kid, red sky at morning. Do you know the rest of it? Sailors take warning, right? So if you see a red sky in the morning, you say, I've got to make an adjustment to my plans today. And Jesus says, when you see something happening in the atmosphere, you know that a storm is coming. He goes on in verse 55, when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it, and it happens. That scorching heat, that south wind, that Sirocco that's coming from the desert, you, you have to adjust for those things. You don't want to get caught in either one of those things. You want to take shelter from those. And Jesus says, you recognize the change in the weather, in the physical weather, 
but you don't recognize what's going on in the spiritual realm. Verse 56, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? That word time there is kairos. It's the idea of seasons. You you don't recognize, Jesus says, what's going on in this season. You, You don't recognize what God is doing. Your, your eyes are blinded to that. You don't recognize, Jesus says, how God is at work right now in the bigger picture. You don't recognize how God is speaking. You don't recognize that, Jesus says, you don't recognize how God is speaking through me. People were not recognizing that and, and receiving it. You don't recognize the division I'm bringing is actually from God. It's actually a, an appropriate thing. You, you don't recognize that God is calling the nation of Israel to, to be obedient as they were originally destined to be. Jesus says, you're, you're missing it. He says, don't stop at what your physical senses take in. See, our physical senses are, are amazing. I mean, I don't know if you ever stop to think about this and just give God praise for sight. I mean, the ability to be able to see different colors. Most of us have that. A few of you might be colorblind. The ability to see different colors. The ability to hear different uh, tones, to hear the the worship that we got to sing, to hear the people singing around you. Maybe you don't want to hear the people singing around you, but there's many wonderful things that we can hear, that we can touch, that we can taste. I mean, all of these senses, information that we can take in. The problem is that that's only a piece of reality. There's a spiritual reality that we can't touch, taste, see, feel, hear, that is every bit is real, even more real than this physical reality around us. And Jesus says, you're seeing, you're taking in the physical and you're seeing what's happening in the physical realm, but you're not seeing what's happening in the spiritual. And if we ignore what we can't see and experience with our physical senses, we will pay a dear price. So Jesus says, pay attention to the signs and then respond. He goes on with the the response that he is looking for from us in verse 57. He says, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. All right, so let's talk for a couple of minutes about these these, these verses here. Okay, so I'm going to tell you, when I started studying this passage, I got to these verses and I was like, this just seems like out of left field. Like this seems really disconnected. Like why are we suddenly talking about making things right with, with another person? And so let, let's talk for a minute about how we interpret scripture. Okay, context is really the key when we interpret. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say if you rip a verse out Okay, but if we understand what's going on before it and after it, that gives us insight into what this is talking about. So, so this is just a little kind of side note, but it's important to understand uh, what we're looking at here this morning. The, this same idea, almost these very words, we find in the book of Matthew, but in a very different context. So hold your finger in, in Luke 12 because we're coming back, but go to Matthew chapter 5 because I want you to see how the context is different and how it gives us a different interpretation of these verses. Matthew 5, 25, which is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus speaking again, and he says, 
Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So same idea, same concept, almost the exact same words. But here's the difference. This time in Matthew, the verses that come before these verses are talking about our human relationships. They're talking about our horizontal relationships. If we go back to verse 21, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And now we have come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. So all human uh, horizontal relationships, if we go to the verses after that in verse 27, still human relationships, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the context in Matthew is, it's the same concept of settling our differences, of making things right. But in Matthew, he's talking about our human relationships. It's a different story in Luke. Back to Luke 12, if we look at the verses that come before these verses, if we go back all the way to 35, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Jesus goes on to, to tell a story and talk about the importance of us being ready as managers. We're the manager, he's the master. And we need to be ready for inspection when he comes to check on us. So that's about our vertical relationship. Last week, Jay, in verse 49, Jesus said, I've come to cast fire on the earth, would that it were already kindled. He's talking about his relationship, God's relationship with, with us as humans and how that can be disruptive based on whether or not we're trusting and following in Christ. The verses after what we're looking at this morning in chapter 13 we're going to look at this next week, but Jesus is addressing the question of whether we, we, we die for our sins, whether we, we receive punishment, whether we're, we're punished more severely if we're worse sinners, and, and again, all about our relationship vertically with God. So with that in mind, when we read these verses in 57, 58, and 59, everything around it is about our relationship with God, the, the sense we get here is that what we're talking about is a heavenly courtroom where God is the judge and God is bringing a, a um, he's, he's coming against us with an accusation. And so let's read this again with, uh, with that in mind. Okay, verse 57. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? So Jesus is saying, why do you not reflect and, and judge whether your actions are in line or not. You need, you need to take some self-reflection and see if your actions are in line with, with God's expectations. Verse 58, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. 
God is the one bringing the charge here that you and I have, have sinned. We have fallen short of his standard, and we therefore owe a debt. And here's Jesus' point in telling this, this little scene. If we don't settle before the judgment, if we come to stand before the judge, there will be enough evidence to convict us. And we will be thrown into prison. Which in, in verse 59, he says, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Prison, separation from God, eternity, hell. The, the thing is, with our spiritual debt, we can never pay the last penny. Our debt is too great. And so we need to settle before we get to court. Jesus' advice is do everything you can to settle before you get to court. He says, a, a storm's in sight, it's time to get right. The storm is, if you will open your spiritual eyes, the signs are there to tell you that there's a storm coming, so the time to get right is, is now. Don't wait until the storm gets here because it will be too late. I want to pause here and talk for, for just a minute about the charges that God brings against us that we call sin and the judgment that results from our, our sin. This is not a fun topic to talk about, and so we, we like to avoid it. We like to talk about God's love more than we talk about God's judgment. And, and it is absolutely appropriate that we talk about God's love because God is love. So we should talk about God's love. But we can't stop with talking about God's love and ignore his judgment because his judgment against sin is necessary because of his holiness and his perfection. When someone wrongs you, you want that to be made right. And when we wrong God, it needs to be made right or we say God is helpless, powerless, impotent, and unjust. And so we need for him to bring his judgment. God's love, here's the great thing about God's love. God's love actually creates the safe space where we can face our sin. Because it's hard. It's hard to face it. It's hard to look in the mirror. It's, it's easier, much easier to see someone else's sin than it is to look in the mirror and see our own. You, you know that sin is a reality because you know that people have sinned against you. You know that somewhere along the line, someone has made a cutting remark to you that they, they knew exactly what button to push for you, and they pushed it intentionally because they wanted to, to hurt you. You know what sin is because someone somewhere along the line has cheated you out of something that was rightfully yours, and they incurred a debt on you that they didn't repay, and you were sinned against. You know what sin is because maybe you are in, were in a contentious divorce and your ex lied about you so that they could get more time with your, your kids. You know what it's like when someone sins against you. Sometimes we actually get to see it in the mirror. Sometimes we realize, yeah, I have sinned too. 
I mean, I had this experience this week while uh, we were away at Camp Spofford. Our family uh, went up there to be with, with Daryl Benjamin. That's where he goes uh, during the summer. So we got invited up for me to speak this week. And it was a really neat uh, experience. And the beginning of the week was really, really fun. Well, so we went up there thinking, okay, this is kind of a mix between some ministry and some fun, you know, because we got invited to participate in all this stuff. So we went up there, and the beginning of the week was really fun, and, like, people are really receptive and enjoying the, the messages. And so I'm getting this feedback of, like, yeah, we're really benefiting from this, and God's really speaking to us. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. And as a speaker, you kind of like that. You like to get some, some positive feedback, you know. You want to be humble and, like, oh, don't go on. But, yeah, you know, give me some more. So... <laughs> So that was really neat at the beginning of the week. And then about, right about in the middle of the week, some stuff just started to come out of these people. And I think a retreat setting, we hadn't had an experience like that being at a family camp before, but I think being together at a family camp, you're out of your routine, you're, you're away, you're, you're with you know, people that you're not with typically, you're, you're, you have a chance to talk to a pastor that you're never gonna see again. And so people were just, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that people were dealing with. And so it was really, really heavy. And so I got into several conversations towards the end of the week. And I just, here's my confession. Okay, by the end of the week, I was just like, I, I'm ready for some vacation here. You know, we came up here to have some fun, and you guys just keep bringing your stuff. And I <laughs> wish you'd just, like, go back in your little tent and stay there, you know. And so I know, see, I'm confessing this to you because pastors aren't supposed to say stuff like this, I know, right? But this pastor does. So this is, this is the reality. The mirror comes up, and I'm like, okay, Dave, I mean, this is what you came to do. You know, ministry. This is what God called me to do. But my self-centeredness so often rises up. And I could give you a dozen other examples as well. And sometimes maybe you get the mirror held up to you too, right? And you realize, yeah, I, I don't measure up to what God has rightfully asked me to do. I mean, he's the one that gave me the gifts. He's the one that's given you the abilities to do the things that you do. And sometimes we just want to use them all for ourselves. And the gap between what God's asked us to do and where we actually are is so wide. And there's enough evidence to convict us when God calls us to account. That's why there has to be a judgment. That, that's why there has to be a day of, of reckoning. But... Because God is good, he, he has to judge us. But Jesus warns us ahead of time because he loves us. He warns us because he loves us. There is a way to escape the, the judgment that is coming. But if we don't settle out of court ahead of time at the judgment, we will be condemned. And Revelation 20 tells us what that condemnation looks like. John says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's the storm that's coming. That's the purification that will happen so that creation can be restored and made new again. And it's not fun to talk about it, but Jesus wanted us to know ahead of time so we could prepare. He said, the storm's in sight, it's time to get right. Don't, don't wait until the storm gets here because it will be too late. Jesus wants us to recognize that we have sinned, that that sin separates us from a holy God, and that there's only one solution 
to our sin, and that is Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, the only one who lived a perfect life, who died a death that he didn't deserve, so that you and I can avoid the death that we do deserve. And Jesus said, look at the signs, pay attention to the signs because the judgment day is going to come. I had a a neat opportunity this week at at camp to talk with a guy who works with the seeds ministry that is connected with Wycliffe and other Bible translators. There's a really neat thing happening over the last several years where there's there's now a coalition of Bible translators. There used to be all these silos of Bible translations. And now Bible translators have come together to work together and say uh, they have a goal that um, in the next 10 to 15 years that every language will have the gospel in their language. And so this is a sign that things are coming to pass because Jesus says before he comes, everyone will have the chance to hear the, the good news about him. And so the fact that people are now you know, laying down their silos and working together is good news uh, for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, to every people in every tongue. Because the storm is, is going to come. Second Corinthians 5 says this, we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this storm is in sight. The judgment seat will, will come. But he goes on to say, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what it means to get right with God. We don't get right with God by doing something or accomplishing something in our own strength. It's impossible. But what we contribute is just a mess. What we need is for Jesus to make us right by taking our sin on himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become right with God. The storm's in sight, so it's time to get right. So to prepare for the storm, we need to pay attention to Jesus' storm warning. As you are reading the scripture on your own, as you're listening to sermons, don't gloss over the passages about judgment. Sometimes we wanna run past those because they're uncomfortable, it's unpopular, it just, it just feels like how could a God of love be like this? Don't, don't gloss over those, they're reality and they're part of the whole picture of who God is. And what he calls us to do in light of that coming judgment is acknowledge our spiritual debt, acknowledge that I can't pay this on my own and I need someone else to pay it for me. Jesus, you've paid it and I receive your payment and, and so that I can settle ahead of time with, with God. Chuck Swindoll says this about the wrath of God. He says, surely the phrase, the wrath of God is greatly misunderstood. Many think of some sort of peeved deity, a kind of cosmic, terrible-tempered Mr. Bang who indulges in violent, uncontrolled displays of temper when human beings do not do what they ought to do. But such a concept only reveals the limitations of our understanding. The Bible never deals with the wrath of God that way. 
According to scriptures, the wrath of God is God's moral integrity. When man refuses to yield himself to God, he creates certain conditions, not only for himself, but for others as well, which God has ordained for harm. It is God who makes evil result in sorrow, heartache, injustice, and despair. It is God's way of saying to us, now look, you must face the truth. You were made for me. If you decide you don't want me, then you will have to bear the consequences. The absence of God is destructive to human life. That absence is God's wrath, and God cannot withhold it. In his moral integrity, he insists that these things should occur as a result of our disobedience. He sets man's sin and his wrath in the same frame. So he warns us because he loves us. Maybe today is, is your day. If you've never settled accounts with God, if you haven't settled ahead of time, the judgment day will come. Now's the time to settle. And so the band is going to come and we're going to sing one more song. And as we do that, um, I'm going to be available over here in the front. I would just encourage you to, to come forward and I would love to talk with you, pray with you, help you settle accounts with Jesus while there's still time before the storm comes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are love. And actually, your judgment is a reflection of your love because you hate everything that damages this creation. You hate the things that damage us, the things that damage one another, the things that damage your honor and your glory by our sin. You hate those things. And so in your love, you need to cleanse them out of this creation. And so we look forward to the day when you'll do that. But Lord, we confess that the judgment day holds a, a little bit of um, discomfort for us because we know we can't stand before you. But thank you, Lord, that we, we actually don't have to be uncomfortable. We don't have to fear the day of judgment, not because of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us. I pray for the heart who is here this morning who hasn't yet settled accounts with you, who hasn't made things right with you by accepting the free gift of grace and forgiveness. And I pray that you would stir in those hearts this morning. Call them to yourself. And Lord, make us all ready for that day and help us to call others along with us as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.